Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. This is July 24th. I'm Jimmy Murphy, and this is the Bruins Beat on CLNS Media. And another Bruins Beat episode here. Jimmy Murphy, your host here on CLNS Media. And you know what I thought would be nice? It's kind of the dog days of the summer right now. And, you know, we've covered pretty much as much as we can when it comes to the Bruins on the Bruins Beat over the last month or so in the offseason. And a lot's happened, but a lot more has happened more around the division right now. So I thought it would be fun for the next couple weeks to kind of poke around the division and see what the Bruins rivals are doing. And I figured a good team to start with would be the team that beat them out on John Tavares, and that's the Toronto Maple Leafs. And on to join me and discuss that and all things Leafs and kind of give an outside perspective on the Bruins is my good friend. We go way back. Got some good stories we might get into from our, our travels to Montreal over the years, and that is Mike Zeisberger from NHL.com. Zeiss, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing great, Murph, and what better way uh... – for you to usher in the dog days of summer than having the lead dog on. Uh, so thanks very much for, uh, for having me. Yeah, we do go back and uh, we've seen a lot of hockey uh, together. And uh, like I said, um, love what you're doing with the podcast and thanks for having me on. Yeah. Thank you, my friend. I appreciate that. And, you know, I think Zeiss, uh, a lot of people kind of expected that Toronto was where John Tavares would end up. Um, I, I, I think, you know, the, the feel here in Boston from people that were kind of, you know, before the, the instant reaction was people were mad and the, and the other reaction was, well, another big fish that the Bruins missed out on. But once, once they sort of stepped back and they kind of looked at the fact that, you know, a few years back when they, they had missed the playoffs once and then they fired Chiarelli and they hired Sweeney, they missed the playoffs again. The fact that they are now only a few years into the Sweeney regime, and they're getting a seat at the table for a guy like Tavares is great. So I think there was some salvation here. But I want to look at it from the Toronto perspective and what that was like, you know, as we wound down and got to July 1st. And did, they, did people in Toronto really believe, like, was it, was it a done deal in their eyes or were they nervous that they might not get him? Well, Murph, uh, to be around uh, Leafs Nation here, uh, a team that um, obviously has not won the Stanley Cup in over half a century. Uh, The last Stanley Cup was 1967. This is also an organization that has not won a playoff series since 2004. And they can thank uh, on a couple of occasions uh, 
<laughs> the meltdowns at the TD Garden against uh, the aforementioned Bruins in the third period of Game 7s for that. But, you know, you accrue all that together, and then you get uh, from the basic, uh, you know, average fan, you get in a, a glass half-empty uh, kind of view. And I think that that was kind of uh, perpetuated or at least mushroomed uh, a couple of years ago when Steven Stamkos didn't come here. Now, we all know the story about Stamkos. Uh, you know, he was approaching free agency. Um, and people in Toronto thought that this is where he would end up. Um, quick story about Stamkos is that um, his father plays summer uh, recreational ball, uh, softball. Uh, I'm not sure if it's softball or hardball with Joe Bowen, the voice of the Leafs. Oh, wow, yeah. Great Stamkos, Yeah. So Stamkos grew up uh, with Joe Bowen and, and Joe Bowen's kids. And, and um, I remember interviewing Stamkos um, in his last year in Sarnia, and he admitted to me he was watching the standings to see where the Leafs were um, in the hopes that they might draft them. Didn't play out that way. So then we fast forward, and, and Stamkos, you know, he's coming up for free agency. Here's his chance uh, to come play for his hometown team. Um, the Leafs have never fared that well in terms of luring the superstar free agents here. Um, a lot of the hometown kids kind of shy away from, you know, being in, being in the spotlight, kind of like it is if you're a Boston Red Sox player uh, in Boston. And when Stamkos decided to go back to Tampa for, listen, for many good reasons, he, he knew how close they were to winning a Stanley Cup. It's a great place to live. Um, they don't, you know, their taxes are minimal to none. Uh, so that helped. But that put a big dent, Murph, in the, in the psyche of, of the Leafs fans and their anticipation. So the whole Tavares thing, he's a little more introverted, obviously, than, than Stamkos is. So, yeah, there was the, you know, the thought that, oh, maybe he'll come home. But I think generally people here thought that he would go to the Islanders, uh, stay with the Islanders. Or maybe uh, there was a lot of talk about San Jose because they have a good team and he wouldn't be in the spotlight there. So, um, you know how much you enjoy being from here. Um, you know, I come home every summer to spend my summers here. Some of those feelings really started to come to fruition, and uh, I, I couldn't ignore them, and it felt like it was the right thing to do. I think where it really changed is when that midnight deadline, June, 30, uh, June, June 30th, rolled around, and he had not re-signed with the Islanders, so they couldn't give him the extra year. I think that, as we went into July 1st, people said, hey, he might actually end up here. But when he when he did, I think there was kind of that moment of shock among the fans that, wow, that actually did happen. So, you know, I, I, I think there was guarded optimism, but I think it still took a lot of people by surprise when it actually happened. Man, listening to you just tell me that story, it, it, the, and I've always said this, and that, again, just reminded me of it, Leafs Nation seems so much like Red Sox fans pre-2004, before they broke the curse. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I, I've always thought that's kind of a, a really good analogy there. And, you know, to try and for our Boston listeners right now, I mean, that, 
that's what it's always seemed like to me where they always think the worst and, oh, there's no way this guy's going to want to come to us. And you think back to when, you know, it, it probably ended up being better off for them. But, you know, when A-Rod spurred the Red Sox, spurring the Red Sox and he ends up somehow with the Yankees, you know, and people are like, ah, oh, here we go again. They got the big fish. But, you know, it ended up working okay in 2004. But that's just what it's like, isn't it? Yeah, and by the way, I remember in uh, 2007 after they beat uh, Colorado Rockies in the World Series and they're interviewing some of the Red Sox on the players, or players on the field, I should say, you could hear some of the Sox fans that were in Colorado chanting, don't sign A-Rod at yeah. that time. So that was <laughs> funny. But I think that's a great analogy, Murph. And, and, you know, as you know, even though I've covered baseball, but now that I don't, I've been a, a Boston Red Sox going back to night fan going back to 1973-74. So yeah. I think that's a great analogy. And and you know, when I when I met, you know, obviously it's not in the same type of uh, uh, scale. Um, but I remember when the Red Sox won the World Series in '04. Um, you know, the fan inside of me thinking like, okay, what do I do now? Like you're, you're, you're euphoric. <laughs> it's true. But there's that like, what what is this supposed to feel like? Did that just happen? Is that a parody that I just saw on TV that somebody put on there to screw me up? And I think, you know, to a lesser extent, when Tavares signed here, I think that that was um, kind of in the psyche of the fans here. Did yeah. that just happen? Is this is this is this being announced on one of those fake accounts on Twitter that doesn't have the blue check mark beside it? You know, like <laughs> like did it? Yeah, did it really happen? And um, yeah, like I said, I think it's a great analogy. Um, and and but but believe me, it didn't take long. Much like it didn't take long for Sox Nation to realize that they were the champions. Um, oh, and may I add. The only team uh, en route to getting there that uh, came back from a 3-0 deficit in the playoffs against you-know-who. Um, yeah. I don't have to fill in those blanks. I'm sure your listeners know who I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. But uh, but it didn't take long for, for Leafs Nation to, to, to get excited about this. And, and you know what, Murph? I really do think that what did help is the fact that, A, Tavares announced it himself on social media. And B, he tweeted out a photo of him the, as a kid sleeping under Maple Leafs covers and blankets. And I think that that kind of bridged the gap for fans here that thought, okay, does he really want to be here? And I think that that showed, hey, there's some bloodlines here. Like, you know what? For, for people in Leafs Nation, they looked at that photo and said, hey, he's one of us. Yeah. Yeah, I thought that was a great move by him. I mean, it ticked off the uh, fans of the teams that were competing with the Leafs for his services, but I, I, I loved it. I thought it was great. And it's funny as we're sitting here talking about those, uh, the Red Sox analogy there, and it's kind of like, uh, you know, I could draw another kind of baseball analogy and keep it with the Sox and Yankees. It, the, the Bruins have really been, you know, like you said, the last you referenced it already, they've kind of been the – the Maple Leafs version of the Yankees breaking their hearts in the playoffs two times in a row, you know, like I, I, and and you look at it now and the way those teams match up, I, I think you'd agree with me that I think the Leafs still need a little work on defense, but up the middle, up the middle, 
they're did you know they're very both teams are very strong right now and I, I guess just your take on how this uh, you know the ripple effect through the lineup and how it will kind of shape other parts of the Leafs lineup that they maybe needed some improvements in or still need improvements in what's what's your take right now as you sit back and you look at that roster how do you see it sort of unraveling as the season approaches well number one you, you make a great point about the Bruins um, you know um, I think of the 2013 uh, Leafs team and, and the, there were some good pieces but I, do, I don't feel as optimistic or didn't about that team um, as I did the one that played against uh, the Bruins this time around and, and the bottom line is Murph I mean I know there were two um, third period uh, collapses uh, by the Leafs slash comebacks by the Bruins but I think the most disturbing thing about game um, game seven this time around, I mean, you've got Mike Babcock, and, and at some point, you know, I, I, I thought that, you know, some of the veterans, uh, Roman Polak played well. I thought that Mar- Patrick Martel played really well. But at some point, the Murph, the coaching stops. And at some point, you have to go and get what's there for you, what's dangling there for you. And what was dangling for the Leafs was a chance to win their first playoff series since 2004. They had a one-goal lead. Um, We can talk about the fact that Jake Gardner, their defenseman, went minus five in the third period, or in that game, I should say, um, or that Freddie Anderson didn't make the big save. But the bottom line is, Murph, you know, those two guys were made as scapegoats, but for me, the Maple Leafs had a chance to advance and did not get a shot on goal for the first eight minutes of the third period. When they're when they're winning, when they entered the period by one goal, uh, leading by one goal, um, you cannot. That shows to me you cannot blame two guys for that. Okay, as well as the Bruins played uh, in that period, um, to not get a shot for eight minutes does not show me um, that sense of urgency. And Mike Babcock has said that over and over again. He said, you know what? Maybe it's going to help us in the long run that they, meaning the Bruins, we got slapped around by them in the third period. And so what you get, I think the the addition of Marlowe helped on this young team. But I think that John Tavares being in there, in the dressing room, you know, just garners so much respect between him and Marlowe that I think, you know, some of these young guys are going to going to learn a little bit. I mean, the millennials are a different breed, as you know, the millennial players. Mm-hmm. And for the Tavareses and the, and the Marlows to come in and, and, and exert their influence, I think is going to help a lot. And, and on the ice, I mean, Murph, what can you say? I mean, right now um, – you know, you call them 1A or 1B, but uh, the Leafs have Tavares and Austin Matthews as 1A or 1B, and Nazem Kadri when he's not doing silly things like he did in game one and, and getting suspended for them. Uh, as your third-line center, that's one of the best third-line centers you'll find in hockey. Yeah. Um, you know, that, that, that just for, for a team that since Matt Sundin left, was searching and searching and searching for that number one centerman until they drafted Matthews. And let's face it, I mean, Matthews has only been in the league two years. So, 
um, you know, there's still a lot of development in, in store there. But but to be as strong as they are up the middle right now, um, you know, I think Logan Couture said it best. Uh, I talked to him uh, at the NHLPA golf tournament a couple weeks ago, and his comment was, I don't know if you'll find a better top three um, in the National Hockey League. Uh, I don't think you can argue with that. About- yeah. Yeah, yeah, I mean, right. you know, I like I, I like Kuznetsov, Backstrom, and uh, uh, Eller in in Washington. How can you not? They just won the cup. Um, you know, you look at Pittsburgh with Malkin and Crosby, and then place place third line center here because you've got Malkin and Crosby. But um, I just think it changes the entire dynamic of the team. Um, you know, uh, having said that. Uh, you know, you're, we're already being asked to produce like our mid mid summer power rankings. I mean, I still don't have the Leafs in the top two or three. I think I ranked them four, fourth or fifth because I think that they need uh, to strengthen at the back end. Um, you know, uh, I mentioned Jake Gardner. Uh, he's a good puck moving defenseman, but he's not very good defensively. Uh, mm. So you can't, you know, he's slotted as your number two, sometimes number three guy. And yep. you just can't have that. He's more of a power play specialist. Um, so there's a lot of questions after Morgan Riley, uh, who I think is is inching his way, uh, not only to being a number one, but to being a team leader. I mean, in game seven, he chewed on a, on a char slap shot in the first period and came yep. back in the second. So he's a tough kid. But Murph, I, I, I think it drops off from there. Um, Travis Dermott is a kid that I, I like at the back end. Um, I think he bears watching, but that I think is still their Achilles heel. And I think they're going to try to address that in a number of ways. Um, because let's face it, I mean, there's only so many number one defensemen in the National Hockey League that you're going to find. And I can tell you this, I would be, Murph, even more than being shocked at the Leafs getting Tavares or the Red Sox winning the Stanley Cup in 2004, I would be drop drop on the ground shocked if the Ottawa Senators ever traded Eric Carlson to the Leafs. I don't see it happening. Um, Those two organizations despise each other too much. Uh, So I think somehow the Leafs are going to have to improve their defense uh, without, you know, being able to get that bonafide number one defenseman that every team seems to be craving. Well, you know, quickly I'll throw in too, just as a reaction to what you just said here in, the, in your analysis of that D, I, I wouldn't be the least bit surprised. I mean, and I don't know anything. I have no idea who's spoken to them, who's inquired about them. But, you know, if I'm, if I'm a GM right now uh, looking for defense, I'm making a call to Sheveldiff in uh, Winnipeg and asking about Truba because it's pretty clear yeah. – that the, they're, just, they're just not on a good path right now, and they haven't been for a few years. He's been on the trade wire rumor circuit there for a while. They can't seem to just really come to terms on a long-term deal there now, and you see what just happened there. One-year deal, I mean, if, I'd be poking around right now. If I'm Kyle Dubas, I'm on the phone to them and saying, hey, you know, I've got some extra forwards that you could use, some young guys too. Throw me an offer, you know? Yeah, and, uh, you know, there's been a lot of talk that uh, one of the guys that they uh, 
um, could dangle is William Nylander. We also wanted to have more of a uh, depth presence of someone who can definitively come up, and that's where him and Josh Juris come in. And then we also signed uh, Jordan Subban, played against him a lot in Utica, and was obviously very familiar with him from the OHL. And we just we feel that we can help him in the areas of his game that he needs work, and he's got really, really uh, top-end uh, shot, skating, and offensive potential. And so we're excited to get him into our development program and get rolling. I've already seen where people have been calculating uh, how you can fit all these young players yeah. when they, you know, when you have to yeah. re-sign some of these young guys under the cap with this uh, mm -hmm. contract. But um, when you when you look at the situation, do you mm -hmm. feel like this signing gives you some flexibility to make some moves down the road if you have to with all the, I guess, this plethora of talent up front? Uh, I think in, in for, uh, certainly in this year we, we still have a healthy amount of cap space and I think eventually, um, it's, you know, eventually, we're, our younger players, as they continue to develop and progress, they're they're going to want to be pair, uh, paid with the market bears for them, and, and that's no problem on our end. We're well uh, we're well situated to to handle that when it comes, and I think we'll always remain flexible. And John today certainly, you know, it's very evident he could have got more uh, elsewhere, and, and I think that's that sets a great tone for our organization. He obviously wanted to be here versus going out and getting the most money, and that's. That's obviously not a surprise given what we know about his character, and I think that's that's a great uh, message for us and and uh, to our fan base and our and our young group as well. That this guy wanted to be here with them and, and passed up on other opportunities to be here with us. And um, I think already you can, we've we've had as, as the days gone on some veteran players that um, were seeking longer term deals that that are saying that they they'd like to come here on a sh on the short term. And that's up to us to continue to keep that train rolling and and really on me, not anybody else to. Continue need to manage that. We've got a great staff with Brandon Pridham and Lawrence Gilman, and so we'll be on it and uh, continue to, to manage this properly. Um, right now, he's up. He, he, he's, his contract is up. Uh, you know, we'll see how much. I mean, restricted, obviously. We'll see what he gets. Matthews and Mitch Marner are next year, and so everybody thinks that, oh, when they when they hand out those contracts, um, Nylander is the one to go, but here's the thing, Murph. Um, I think Marner's going to ask a lot more than Nylander will, um, and that's where you get into a situation. In you have to look at your cap, and is Marner the guy that you dangle? You probably get a little more for him. Mm -hmm. um, but I think you know. Here's the thing, Murph, that I find fascinating: when the Maple Leafs made their presentation to John Tavares and his handlers at Century City in Hollywood, California, where, where his agent Pat, Pat Brisson has his offices. We know all those teams, including the Leafs, Bruins, Islanders, Stars, uh, Lightning, and uh, who am I missing here? Uh, Sharks. Sharks. When they made their, pres when they made their presentations, one of the things – that Kyle Dubas had mapped out to John Tavares is a way that they could sign him plus keep Matthews, Marner, and Nylander all under contract hmm. for the long-term future. I don't know how they can do that, number one, financially. And number two, I don't know if you really need a defenseman. Don't you use one of those chips to get a, a demon? So. Those are the things, you know, those are the things that, that really intrigue me about where the Maple Leafs are going. But there's no doubt, I mean, that they're a much better team today 
um, than they were uh, three, four months ago uh, when they were shaking hands with the Bruins at the TD Garden. And normally I wouldn't say that one guy can have that effect, but I think Tavares can uh, on and off the ice. You know, as you said that, and you're talking about what Dubas said, he says, we're going to find a way to keep those guys. Well, there's one guy he didn't mention that we already referenced before, so who knows? Nazem Kadri. I mean, I wonder if he could net you a D-man that you, you know, like you could put in your top four there. Yeah, he's a little older, so it depends on what, what a team is looking for. Yep. Um, maybe, a, maybe a team like Winnipeg, I mean, uh, Naz, I believe his cap hit. I'm not even sure if it's if it is five. It might even be just four or five, which is which is pretty economical for a player like that. Um, you know, maybe for a team like Winnipeg who wants to win now, that's that's something that they would that they would look at. But yeah, I think that's a great point by you. He could he could definitely be a bargaining chip. I could yeah, see that. Yeah, he's four point five, and he's got a modified no trade. Uh, this year, so that's yeah, a, so, and he's locked so, in for another four seasons. So that yeah, that's a very reasonable deal uh, for a team that maybe feels they're right in the brink. So we'll see what happens there. Hey, you know, let's shift back to the Bruins and the rest of the division, though. There, the last year in the division, Tampa got the tie. They took the uh, you know they took the division title there, but the Bruins are right behind them. They were neck and neck down to the end there. Um, how much does Tavares influence that division race now? And, and obviously, you know, there's that, the way the playoffs are set up right now, how much will he have an effect on, you know, the, kind of that dreaded first-round matchup that you don't want to have if you're, say, that, that wild-card spot. You know what I'm saying there? I mean, can they have a chance to take the division there as opposed to falling where they were before? Definitely they have a chance, but I mean, this is, you know, uh, Kyle Dubas said this at the Tavares press conference when the, the signing was announced and, and Tavares was uh, presented to, uh, to the media. Um, he said the number one uh, goal is to win the division. And I think that's, that's legitimate because you can't start talking about aspirations of winning a Stanley Cup without winning this division because of the reasons that you said. Um, Right now, even with the addition of Tavares, I still think that the Tampa Bay Lightning are the class of, of uh, the division. I still think, Murph, that they're the best in the National Hockey League. I'm not sure what uh, the most talented team. I'm not sure what happened. I covered the Eastern Conference final. Um, they just got – I'm not sure they got beat by a better team. They got beat by a team that played better, if that makes any sense. Uh, yeah, they got beat by Capitals, a team on a mission. That's what it seemed like to me. Yeah, yeah. The, I mean, the Capitals have played outstanding defense. I mean, if you would have told me that the Tampa Bay Lightning, with all that firepower, would not have scored a goal for the final 159 minutes of that series, I mean, I wouldn't have believed you. But that's, that's when I kind of saw – you know what, this Capitals team, like you said, is on a mission. But I still think that Tampa is the elite team, uh, not only in this division, but in the National Hockey League. I mean, mm. the fact that they got Kucherov under contract like that, um, obviously they have Stamkos, uh, some of the young, younger guys like Gord and, and um, 
uh, Braden Point up front. Yep. Then you look at the you look at the blue line. I mean, Ugh. Victor Hedman, uh, Sergachev. Um, Murph, you don't have to pay him. He's still on his rookie deal. He's yeah. still on his entry deal. And then you re-upped with okay. McDonough, too. You re-upped McDonough, which yeah. is huge. Yeah, that was, that surprised me a little bit just for the money, um, you know, in the mid-sixes. But they obviously see something that he brings to the table. So um, I think this is, uh, you know, now when you talk Leafs Bruins, um, that's where I, that's where I, you know, I, I, I think obviously the Leafs have, have, have taken a step, a, a giant step in their battle uh, with the Bruins. Um, but I got to say, I like the way that a lot of the, uh, the, the Boston kids uh, played in the playoffs. I thought that they, um, well, I mean, you, you look at the way that uh, a, a DeBrusque, mm-hmm. for example, um, I know I'll, I'll say this kid's name wrong, but um, Asiari, Akiari? Oh, Akari. Noel Akari. Akari. See? I knew I'd get it. Three <laughs> it's okay. S, you it, was, know. it was a good effort. <laughs> you know, I, uh, Danton Heinen. I was so impressed with those guys, mm. those kids in the playoffs. And that's, that's to me, that's going to be a big deal for the Bruins. I know they didn't get um, – you know uh, the Rick Nash thing. They could they couldn't get him back. His future is is, is unsettled. Um, they couldn't get Tavares. But and then I look at the back end. Um, you know a lot of people forget Murph that are outside of Boston. Um, just how good a young defenseman that Brando, Brandon Brandon Carlo is. Yeah. And the fact that he got hurt in the final week of the season um, for two consecutive years. Uh, I really like what he brings to the table with it. I, I think he skates very well for a big guy. I mean, uh, you know, Krug and McAvoy speak for themselves. I think they've added life to, uh, to Chara, and there's a couple of other guys on the back end as well. I think that, uh, that the addition of John Moore arguably gives the Bruins the deepest uh, defense core in, in the division. So, that's what I think. I think that Tampa Bay is still the team that everybody in the division and the National Hockey League should be aiming for. Um, but then the Boston, the the, the, the Boston Toronto dynamic, I think is is a lot of it is going to be a, on the young players and which teams' young players um, come to the forefront quicker. And can the Bruins get that secondary scoring that they need as opposed to can the Maple Leafs defense, um, can some of their young guys on defense pick up their games? And I think that those are the two dynamics that are working against each other. And whichever team can, can do the best in those circumstances, I think will be the ones that, uh, that, that, that fare better. But it's going, to be, it's going to be great between those three teams. And you know what, Murph? You remember when this division used to be um, – you know, uh, from top to bottom, it used to be so strong. Yeah. Uh, not that way anymore. I mean, I see those three teams, Boston. It's top-heavy now. Top-heavy. Yep. Florida kind of in the middle. And then, you and know, then, the other team. Uh, our Montreal. poor friends in Montreal. I'm sure, I'm sure Leafs fans and Bruins fans aren't feeling bad for them, but. <laughs> Montreal, Ottawa, Detroit, Buffalo. I mean. Uh, the the two teams that I'm kind of fascinated about is um, number one Detroit. I thought uh, you know Kenny Holland must have had a, a real boost a little bit because 
You know, they were looking at a defenseman in the draft. Zadina, who a lot of people think is the best pure goal scorer in the draft, falls to them at six. Uh, I don't know how that happened. Uh, I know uh, from sources inside the Red Wings that they were euphoric. It's like, oh, we're not taking a defenseman if this kid here. Yeah. And then I, I forget the name of the kid, and I'm sorry, Murph, but they got another kid that, that dropped um, another forward at the end of the first round. And suddenly this team is starting to influx itself with some, you know, um, with some real, real talent up front. And so I don't think Detroit's ready yet. I can see them, um, you know, maybe a couple years away. And then you go to Buffalo. I think that, uh, you know, I got to spend some time uh, not only at the draft, but uh, when they visited, when the prospects visited the uh, Stanley Stanley Cup final, I got to spend some time with the uh, first overall pick, uh, Rasmus Dahlin. Uh-huh. Um, great kid. Great, even, great kid. Great player. Um, I like some of the things that uh, Jason Botterill is doing there. I think he's trying to change the culture. Um, it's going to take time. Bad for the fans. Well, know? it is going to take time, and it, it's too. You know what, Murph? It's too bad because right now Jason Botterill had to come in and he had to do a rebuild on the rebuild, which is always tough. Ugh. But uh, Sabres fans are, are 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 very passionate. They're like Bruins fans, and they're very loyal. So I think. Just show them that there's a light at the end of the tunnel, and they'll buy in. So, um, like I said, I think that there's those top three teams in the division, and then Florida somewhere in the middle, and then the rest of the teams, it's going to be a long season for them. For sure. And the guy you were thinking of was Joe Valino out of the queue. He played with St. John and Drummondville last year. Exactly. Yep. Good pick. That was good to get him at the end of the first round, for sure. Hey, you know – we look, uh, the Bruins, uh, one of the free agent signs, you mentioned John Moore, which I think was a very underrated sign. I don't think it got enough love here in I Boston at all. Um, but the other big sign, and it made some news around here, in the last couple of weeks, some, some of the media around here and some of the fans have been kind of floating this around, that the fact that the Bruins signed Yaroslav Halak at the money they did and also to a two-year deal, uh, you know, and a guy that's been a starter – off and on in his career, and it has shown that he can go on some really good hot streaks um, that they think will really – and I, I think they're right. He's going to push Tuca. I think he's going to push him even more than Hudobin did, even though Hudobin had a great year last year. But they end up they, – they don't bring Hudobin back. And there was talk before free agency started to really kick in that the reason Hudobin might not be back was because he was asking for too much. But then they turn around and they give more money – to Halak than Hadobin signed for it in Dallas. There's some speculation that, you know, if Tuca ever went into one of his big slumps, and we saw one early on in the year last year, and Halak took over and, and, and went on an even bigger run than Hudobin did for four games back in November of last season, would they ever think about maybe saying, you know what, we got a guy that maybe we can, we can, get, we can get away with it here and, and trade Tuca away. I'm of the belief that that's insanity, but I want an outside perspective there on what you think of that theory, maybe, that he was brought in to eventually allow the Bruins to get out from under the Tukaras contract. Well, this is an easy question for me to, to answer, especially when you use the word I was going to use, and that's insanity. <laughs> I mean, people have to relax here, okay? This is not the Yaroslav Halak of, of four, five, six years ago. 
Yeah. Okay. You people that think that are listening to this, and, and I say this with all respect, but please go look at Yarrow Halak's numbers the last two, three years. Go look at his save percentage or lack thereof. Okay. Go look at his injury history the last two or three years. Go look at his age, which is in the mid 30s. Okay. Add all these things up. Okay. This is not somebody that you want as a starting goalie. And I'll be honest with you. Um, you know, uh, I was actually uh, surprised that, that Kudobin, uh, was allowed to leave. Um, because I thought that he was a better solution for Tuka than Yarrow Halak is. And right. people that think that this guy is a solution, Murph, they're thinking about Yarrow Halak in a different chapter of his career. Um, to be perfectly honest, I see that he's the veteran get back up, and maybe he will push him a bit. But any of this talk, and I've heard it come from certain um, media members and, and, and fan sites out of Boston, that, you know, Halak is there so that maybe they they could trade Tuca. I see that as being a dumpster fire, and I don't oh, yeah. see that being logical at all. And and the other thing they don't think of either, Mike, is, okay, well, let's hypothetically say Don Sweeney does lose his mind and, and does this, right? And he trades away Tuca and Halak's a starter. As you mentioned, very injury prone. As you mentioned, not really a starter anymore. But let's just say he was playing well enough to do What happens after Halak, though? Because that's really where the big problem is for the Bruins. We talk about the depth they have up front and some of the great young defensemen they have right now. They've got zilch coming up the system when it comes to goalies right now. And I, I mean that with all due respect to Zane McIntyre and Dan Vladar. I, I think they're good. But, you know, maybe Vladar, I've talked to some scouts, he's, it, he could be the solution three years down the road. But that's three years down the road. What do you do now? Yep. And, you know, like they don't have – a backup to the backup right now, really. And, and that's, that's the biggest problem. And I was really shocked they didn't draft a goalie uh, this year because I, I think it's the biggest area uh, that's in need of some depth in their system. But I'm with you. I, I just think it's insanity. And, it, you know, as someone from Toronto, you were doing exactly what I hoped you would and said, look, I'm sure people in Toronto realize what they let go in Tuka Rask over the years. Yeah, no, it de definitely. And, uh, you know, that's why, and, and Murph, maybe you can explain this to me. Why did they let the other guy go? I mean, I thought that was, you know, that that's one of the biggest things, issues with the Dallas Stars that they've had in recent years is goaltending. Yeah. And so what you've had, you know, they brought Ben Bishop in, who was a bonafide number one goalie, but he gets hurt all the time. And we saw that when Carrie Lettinen went back in there to replace him, he could not get the job done. We've seen with Boston how Hudobin, he can get the job done. I like, I, I, I like yep. his game. And I just found it head-scratching. To me, when you look at where he is in his career right now as opposed to where Yaro Halak, is in his career right now to me that move did not make sense no. um you know if, if if you would have said if you would have said look uh the bruins can trade uh would make a one-up trade uh halak for hudobin i would not have made that 
Now, and the and other thing I didn't there's, speak a of fact, there's, there's a number of factors, age being one, uh, familiarity being the other, and the fact that uh, I like the way that, that, that uh, Hudobin played last year, especially when Tuca was uh, struggling, and that's why I didn't understand. I mean, what are you looking for uh, out of a backup goalie? Yeah, I'm with you. And, and the other thing, too, he was huge in the, uh, in the dressing room. He was really loved in that dressing room. He was pretty much the, the teen prankster, which I think everybody needs. They need a, they need a fun-loving, loose guy, and he was that guy in that dressing room. And, you know, some of the guys called him Borat because of his accent and everything and where he's from. <laughs> Uh, but you know, he had that sort of off the wall personality that was, that was perfect for uh, an environment that obviously can get serious at times and get tense at times. And he, he was, he was good for that. So I, I didn't understand it either. Hey, listen, Zeiss, before we go, uh, I, you know, today I want to send out as we record this, uh, on July 24th, uh, it is the birthday of, I'd have to say. And I'm not saying it's because I'm a Bruins fan or I'm from Boston. I'm just saying this, this comes strictly professionally. Probably the classiest, um, one of the most accessible, and probably one of the best players I've ever covered. In my, and I'm going to my 18th season of covering the NHL right now. It's uh, Patrice Bergeron's birthday today. And Bergeron a one-timer. Same rubber. Rebound loose at the top of the crease. Rashad And, you know, I know you've had plenty of great interviews with, with Bergie and just, you know, again, give us an outside perspective of what the rest of the NHL kind of views Patrice Bergeron as. Well, it, it's hard for me uh, to say what the rest of the league, uh, how, how they feel about him, because I, I have such strong, uh, such a strong opinion, personal opinion on him through our interactions, um, you know, both professionally and just talking about the game um, off the record and, and, and the, the things that he's been through um, since he first entered the league. And I, I Murph, I, I got to echo your sentiments. I, you know, I would be hard pressed to find a classier individual, um, more down to earth individual than Patrice Bergeron. And um, a more, you know, when you when you think about this guy, there were a lot of years, okay, where he was not uh, the the number one center in terms of he he played with the best wingers. Not like last year, okay. Mm-hmm. And and his his stats uh, took a little bit of a hit. He never cared about that. You want me to be the shutdown guy? I'll be the shutdown guy. There is a reason, okay, why during the Olympics. Okay, uh, two gold medal performances at the Olympics, at the World Cup of Hockey. Why Mike Babcock, one of his shoe-ins, the second, you know, they have to announce their first whatever, six, eight, ten players. Mm-hmm. Patrice Bergeron is always on there. Yeah. Uh, he is so well thought of, okay? Um, there is a reason why Sidney Crosby, who in the past has had a reputation of saying, of, of, you know, people saying, oh, it's hard for guys to play with Sid. There's a reason that Patrice Bergeron plays with Sid in all those aforementioned tournaments. You can go back to the World Junior. 
And maybe the most impressive thing about Patrice Bergeron, people forget um, what he went through with his concussion. I remember talking to him when he said there was a moment in his his life where he would sit in his living room, Mm -hmm. the drape shut, uh, no lights on, he couldn't even turn on the TV because it would be too irritating. So would lights. The fact that he came back from that, okay, and has never taken it, taken it out on the game, um, has been nothing but but cordial uh, to the from from I don't know from the from the kid that picks up the towels in the yeah. Bruins dressing room to when he's talking to Cam Neely, he treats everybody the same. Um, you know, this is just an individual that, uh, you know, uh, we should all strive to be like, not, and I'm not talking about on the ice. I'm talking about on the ice and how we treat people. And I don't know what a better endorsement I can give Murph. I mean, uh, uh, maybe people, maybe people are thinking I'm gushing about this guy, but, um, to those, to those of you listening who, um, you know, don't me, don't know me. Just know that uh, I come by this opinion honestly. I, I, I truly uh, mean it about this guy. Uh, just such a such a great human being, and I wish him all the best. No, it's it's unreal. And I, I'm going to just tell you this quick little story before this past year. I, it was, yeah, it was the the Bruins always have that. Game. Actually, they moved it to a night game this year, which is weird. But usually, the Bruins play that NBC game on Black Friday here in the states, right after Thanksgiving. You know what I'm talking about? They play that yep. matinee. Okay. So, you know, that Friday, I'm sitting there at the game and I'm, you know, it's winding down in the first period. And I go on Facebook. I'm just kind of perusing there. There's a break and play. And I'm looking on Facebook and I see that one of my, my really, really good friends from my time up in Montreal when I was living there and a, a guy that was with, he's was, he was really there for me through some tough times and my dad passed and, and just some some things I was going through, his, his name was Gord Fairholm, and he was from the West Island in Montreal, and he was a huge Bruins fan growing up, and, and his kid Ryan was a huge Patrice Bergeron fan, and I saw right there all of a sudden, I was informed that Gord passed away, and he had had cancer, but then he was in remission, and I guess he just got sick, and that was it, and so obviously I'm kind of taken aback and I still have to cover a game. And then I go down in the dressing room and I'm just like, this is, this is horrible. And so I, I pulled aside one of the PR guys and I said, look, I know you can't do it right now. You guys got to get away to a game, but maybe in the next week or so, was there any way I could get something signed by Patrice um, for Gord's son, Ryan? And I told them the whole story. And they said, yeah, you know, like you said, we're pretty busy. We'll see what we can do. I'm telling you within I don't know, 20 minutes, one of the PR people came back and they said, Patrice will have that for you waiting here tomorrow. They're going to leave it with, the, with somebody here in the office. We're going to be away, but don't worry, it'll be taken care of. And that was it, just like that. You know, this guy's hustling to get out of there and catch a flight to, to the next city for his next game. And in the midst of all that, he's no problem. And that's, that's the class that this guy oozes, you know. And, and you have no – there's no – apology necessary for for gushing over someone like that and then he came to me afterwards when they got back from they were on a little road trip and i saw him uh after a game 
the next time they're home and he says, look, I'm so sorry about your friend. And I hope that, I hope that that was all right for the son. And I'm just sitting there trying to hold back tears. I'm like, Patrice, you're amazing. I appreciate it. So that's the type of guy he is, you know, and, and happy birthday to Patrice. I mean, it, it that's one thing, you know, I'm not going to say they're all on Patrice's level, but my, we're lucky to be in this business. Cause I think we come across a lot of guys like that, whether it be players or coaches, GMs or people in the media, there's a lot of good guys in our business, and that's why I love doing this. Well, I don't know what how I, I can't top that, Murph, but I think that that story, in a nutshell, um, you know, allows the fans uh, to understand just the many layers of Patrice Bergeron, and uh, we all know we've seen it on the ice, but off the ice too. Uh, there's there's not many people, if any, in the sport that have a bigger heart than he does. No, for sure, for sure. Well, you know what, Zeiss, you got one of the biggest hearts and uh, a great sense of humor. We, we never got into our Montreal story, so we'll have to do that the next time I get you on, my friend. Maybe, but, maybe, maybe. Let's even, definitely do that. Yeah, and you know what? Maybe even if we're lucky, we'll do a podcast uh, from where the uh, the story took place up at Hurley's in Montreal. Maybe one day we'll meet up in Montreal. And we'll make that happen. Uh, yeah, let's let's. Yeah, all right, let's try not to do it at the time of the story that occurred at 4.30 a.m. We'll, we'll do it at dinner time at Hurley's. How's that sound? Okay, buddy. <laughs> but no, any, listen, um, listen uh, thank you so much for having me. Uh, anytime, anytime you need anything, let me know. I know, um, you, man. You know what a good friend you are, but also you know uh, what a special place uh, the city of Boston and, and uh, the, the sports fans there, uh, you know, have uh, have in terms of my life. And uh, I just want to thank everything, everybody for listening and keep listening, keep listening to Murph because he rocks. I appreciate that, Zeiss. And by the way, to all the people of Toronto there and to you, man, you know, we're thinking your city after the tragedy that happened. Uh, in Greektown this past week, you know, uh, we obviously went through a similar thing here back in 2013. Um, and now you've had two of them in, in less than a year. So uh, we're thinking of you well, and uh, Toronto strong brother. All right. Listen, uh, real, real quick before I sign off, yeah. uh, I wanted to say that, uh, you know, um, we had that incident where a van plowed into some people uh, before one of the playoff games against in Toronto here against the Bruins. And the, the outpouring of support, not only from the Bruins organization, who were so classy, not only from Patrice Bergeron, who was, you know, you don't even have to say it's so classy, but the tweets and the emails and the uh, just support from the city of Boston for Toronto was overwhelming. And it has not been forgotten. And, uh, you know, everybody here appreciates the support that Boston had. Uh, we know you guys went through it. And, uh, you know, uh, I'll sign off by this. Boston strong and Toronto strong. Let's never forget that. And we'll see you in the playoffs again, I hope, my friend. Hey, listen, I'll talk to you soon, Zali. Enjoy the rest of your summer and uh, look forward to your work on NHL.com. Thank you, Murph. All the best. All right, that's Mike Zeisberger of NHL.com joining me on another episode of the Bruins Beat here on CLNS Media. We'll talk to you next week.